Well, speaking of Habakkuk, let's open our Bibles to his book. He's right after Nahum and just before Zephaniah. He's toward the back of your Old Testament. Little bitty book. Only three chapters. And today we're going to look at the first chapter of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk prophesied in Judah. So in his day, Israel, which is the name of the people of God. Remember Jacob, the son of, of, uh, of Isaac? Jacob got his name changed to Israel when he wrestled with God. And from Jacob were born 12 sons, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And time went on, and Israel decided they didn't want God to be their king, so they wanted a man to be their king. And so God said through the prophet Samuel, if that's what the people want, let the people have it. And God warned the people that it was not going to end well for them if they took a man to be their king, because in reality, it was a rejection of God. And you know, have you noticed the Lord is always right? The Lord was right. It didn't end well for Israel. And eventually, the kingdom of Israel that was unified under David and under Solomon, when Solomon died, the kingdom became divided. And there was a northern and a southern kingdom. And the name of the southern kingdom was Judah, named after one of the two tribes. Judah and Benjamin were the two tribes representing the southern kingdom. Judah is the tribe from which Jesus comes. So he had these two kingdoms, Judah, and the northern tribe was called Israel. But they were both rebellious kingdoms. They had a good king every so often, but most of their kings were not good kings. They were wicked kings. And around probably 750 B.C., the northern kingdom was carried away captive by, a, by this uh, empire called the Assyrians. Habakkuk lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he prophesied to Judah. And the Assyrians who overthrew that northern kingdom were eventually overthrown by another kingdom, called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians kind of came out of the Assyrian Empire, and they kind of rose up. They were an oppressed people, but they rose up, and they overthrew the Assyrians, and Babylon became the ruler of the world. Habakkuk, this prophet, prophesied in a time just before the Babylonians came and carried away Judah captive. In 612 B.C., there was a city called Nineveh, great city, a humongous city. At that time, probably the largest city in the world. 
It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. In 612 BC, the Babylonians overthrew the city of Nineveh. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah and the whale? Well, Jonah went, remember, against his will. He didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites, to tell them to repent. Remember the story? Jonah says, the Lord, I don't want to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because I know how you're going to do. You're merciful, you're compassionate, and those Ninevites are going to repent, and they're not going to get what they deserve. So Jonah tried to run away from God, but God had him swallowed by a whale, and the whale vomited out Jonah onto the beach, and Jonah walks to Nineveh, and he walks across. It took him three days to walk across the city, preaching repentance. And guess what the Ninevites did? They repented. But their repentance did not stay off the judgment of God. Eventually, Nineveh was judged for her sins. And it was the Babylonians in 612 B.C. that brought that judgment to Nineveh. Habakkuk is a prophet in Judah when this is happening. And Habakkuk sees the destruction of Nineveh. The whole world knew about the destruction of Nineveh and the overthrow of the Assyrians because the Assyrians ruled the world at that time. And now this new kingdom, these Babylonians, these Chaldeans that nobody really, you know, they weren't the, they weren't the power, but now they've overthrown the Assyrians and they've overthrown the great city of Nineveh. And that happened in 612. So Habakkuk was prophesying in Judah sometime probably around 608. So what we're about to read was penned around 608 B.C. It was after the destruction of Nineveh because that made an impression upon Habakkuk the prophet. And you'll find out why that made an impression upon him. So he prophesied after the invasion, after the destruction of Nineveh, but before the invasion of Judah. So the same Babylonians that overthrew Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire, just in a few short years were going to come to Judah and they would overthrow Judah and eventually overthrow and destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple of God. So Habakkuk prophesied in this time, and he prophesied during the reign of King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was not a good king. The king before him was Josiah. Josiah was a good king. He destroyed all the idols. He destroyed all the high places. He brought reform to Judah, but he died in a battle. And when he died, his son took over for a very short period of time. And then the Egyptians set this guy by the name of Jehoiakim, the other son of Josiah. And they controlled him. And Jehoiakim went back to the evil ways and the rejection of God. And Judah sunk into wickedness and rebellion against God once again. So this is the backdrop of Habakkuk, the prophet, this is the, the nation he's living in. This is the time he's living in, and he's watching all of this, and it is not a good thing. So here in this little book, there are three short chapters to this prophecy. Chapter 1 is Habakkuk lifting his voice to the Lord in a question. 
lamenting the violence and the injustice that he sees all around him. Chapter 2 is God's answer to Habakkuk, declaring that the just shall live by faith and describing the judgment that will come upon the wicked. And chapter 3 is a prayer in a psalm written by Habakkuk that ends with a declaration of faith in God no matter what may come. I want you to hear this. I want you to latch hold of that. This book starts out with a horrible picture of what's happening and what will happen. But the prophet ends with a declaration that no matter what happens, no matter how horrible, no matter how desolate, no matter how difficult life becomes, no matter how impossible the situation may seem, he will put his trust in God because there is no other that we can put our trust in. I've come to the book of Habakkuk because the sin of our nation today is much the same as the sin we see recorded here in the book of Habakkuk in the nation of Judah in Habakkuk's day. The sin is the same and the solution is too. So let's read Habakkuk beginning in chapter 1, and I'm going to read actually to the ver- first chapter, I mean the first verse of chapter 2. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Here is the question from Habakkuk to the Lord. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Look among the nations and watch. This is the response of the Lord. God says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians, by the way. A bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing 
his power to his God. Now here's the second question from Habakkuk. The second question he asked to the Lord. And Habakkuk says to the Lord, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours? A person more righteous than he. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them with their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their share is sumptuous. In other words, they worship their power and their might. And their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? That was the question Habakkuk asked the Lord. Pretty intense. Then Habakkuk makes the statement, beginning in verse in chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk asks his question, and then he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of this prophet. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed even in the words of this prophet. And we ask, God, that you would open our hearts and minds, that, Lord, you would deliver us from the hardness of heart, deliver us from ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see, deliver us from being so jaded and so hardened and so used to seeing and hearing things that we cannot see and we cannot hear. God, we ask that you would, in your grace, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and give us hearts to obey that we would be a people that would declare your glory, that would make known your gospel, that would make known the very Christ that has saved us, the Christ who is the only hope in this world, the only hope any of us have. We ask that you would do this for your glory, that we would be your people, your church, giving witness to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So Habakkuk questions the Lord. That question is recorded for us in the first four verses of his prophecy here in, in this book that he recorded for us. And his question in verse 2 is, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Then he asks, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Now think about the world we live in. Think about the very news we hear and see 
the very things that bombard us on a regular basis. This wasn't written yesterday or last week. This was written 2,600 years ago. But it sounds very similar to the world we live in today. Why do you show me iniquity Cause me to see trouble, for plundering and violence are before me. There strife and contention arises. The law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgments proceed. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? But here's the response of the Lord. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. The Lord says, For I will work a work in your day which you will not believe, though it were told you. God goes on to tell Habakkuk in verses 5 through 11 that he's raising up the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk knows who these people are. Habakkuk knows what they did to Nineveh. And if you go and you actually read the history of what they did to Nineveh, it's not a very pretty sight. Warfare in those days is not like it is today. There were no rules of engagement. There was no Geneva Convention. There was no United Nations. There were, there were no rules that were even supposed to go by. The Ninevites... The Assyrians were an especially cruel people, which is why Jonah did not want them to repent and be delivered from God's judgment. And eventually they were judged for their cruelty, and they were judged by an even crueler, more brutal nation than they were. And when the Babylonians went to Nineveh and destroyed that city, they did not leave anything alive. What they didn't take away in slavery... What they could not use for their own purposes, they killed. And they didn't just kill it, they brutally killed it. And they set it up for all to see and all to know we are the Babylonians, we are the power. And Habakkuk knew what happened. And Habakkuk cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, here I am in Judah, and all I see is violence and injustice. There is no justice, Lord. There is only violence. There is contention and conflict arising everywhere, and the law is powerless to do anything about it. How long, O oh Lord, Will I cry out and you will not hear? How long, O oh Lord, before you save us? Can you not see what's happening in our nation? And the response of the Lord was, oh, I see. In fact, let me tell you what I'm going to do. And it's so astounding, God says, that you're going to tell people and they're not going to believe you. And that's exactly what happened. Now, Habakkuk was a contemporary of some other prophets, Zephaniah, Haggai. Jeremiah had already been prophesying. Jeremiah prophesied 25 years. He prophesied before and during the reign of Josiah. 
right up and through the Babylonian invasion into the captivity. So Haggai, I mean Habakkuk is prophesying and he's a contemporary. He's well aware of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they've already been telling that God's judgment is coming. But guess what? No one believes them. And here Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord. God, can't you see what's happening? When will you hear God? When will you save God? And the response of the Lord is, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. And he goes on and he tells Habakkuk that he is going to raise up the Chaldeans to bring judgment upon Judah. And then God describes the power and the brutality and the relentless conquest of this nation he's raising up, which causes Habakkuk to question God again, recorded for us in verses 12 through 17. And Habakkuk questions God and he says, God, how can you use a nation with the extreme brutality and wickedness of the Babylonians, of these Chaldeans? How and why would a holy God who has promised the salvation of his people, why would you use such a nation to judge his people and to accomplish your purpose, God? You see, the questions that men have had since the beginning are no different than the questions we have today. We ask the very same questions as we look around our world. God, how could you let this happen? God, why would you let this happen? Now here's the Lord telling this prophet of his, this is what I'm going to do. And the prophet then goes, well, wait, I wanted justice. I want, I, I want things to made, be made right. But wait a minute, God, you're telling me you're going to send the Babylonians to do your work? Now wait, how can that be? To Habakkuk, it didn't seem possible, and this was the problem with Israel. They didn't think it was possible that God would use the Babylonians to bring judgment to them because the Babylonians were heathens. And the prophets told exactly what was going to happen, and Israel didn't believe it. And Habakkuk is hearing the word of the Lord, and he is in disbelief, and he's questioning God. But the mistake Habakkuk was making was to assume that Judah was more righteous in her sin than Babylon was in her sin. Wait, God, I know we're sinful, but you know, we're not that sinful. I mean, we're, we're sinful, really, really sinful. But we're not like really, really sinful like the Babylonians. They're like a whole different level of sinfulness. You know, we're just really, really sinful, but they're like over-the-top sinful. I mean, we're violent, but they're like brutally violent. It's kind of what we do, right? Well, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not that bad of a sinner. As if God's okay with a level of sin. Like God's okay with my level of sin because, you know, God, I'm, I'm really, I'm 
basically a good person. Yeah, I know I got my faults. I know I'm a sinner, but you know, surely you'll overlook that. I'm not like this guy over here. Sound familiar? It's kind of like the two guys praying in the temple. And the publican, the tax collector, says, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I don't deserve your mercy. I deserve your justice, but have mercy on me, God. And the Pharisee standing next to him praying looks over at the publican and says, Thank you, Lord. I'm not like that guy right there. That's kind of what Habakkuk was doing here. Lord, we're sinners. When are you going to save us? God says, okay, I'm going to save you. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to destroy your nation. You don't know it right now, but eventually I'm going to destroy the very temple I had Solomon build for me. I'm going to lay it to waste. I'm going to carry you away captivity, and you're going to live for 70 years in a heathen nation. Your children are going to live there, grow up there, and your city and your temple is going to be destroyed and laid waste. I'll bring you back one day, but it's, it's going to be a while, and you're going to suffer the judgment, the righteous judgment. And don't think that the enemy's doing this. Don't think that it's not going to happen. If someone tells you, surely God would not do this, just know that I'm doing this. Read Jeremiah 29. When you read Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29 is a letter Jeremiah wrote to the captives in exile in Babylon. And God says to Jeremiah, write it in the letter, I am doing this. It is the Lord who's doing this. Don't believe the lies of the false prophets. Don't believe the lies of the people that say God would never do this. The Lord is doing this. And Habakkuk is hearing the word of the Lord and he's like, surely, God, you're not going to do this. God says, yes, I'm going to do this. Which is exactly why he says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you do not believe. The Apostle Paul, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 13, verse 41. Luke records it for us when Paul is preaching. He's in the synagogue preaching the gospel. And it's rejected by the Jews. And Paul warns him, and he quotes the prophet Habakkuk, and he says, be careful that the words of the prophet do not come upon you. Let's, let me just read that to you real quick. Re Acts chapter 13. Because the apostle Paul can say it a lot better than I can. Acts 13, 40. Beware, therefore, lest what has spoken... What has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. This is right about the time when Paul says, I'm done with Israel You've rejected Christ. You've rejected the gospel. I go to the Gentiles. And the very word that Israel rejected, the Gentiles begged that Paul would preach to them. This is what's happening in Habakkuk's day. 
Israel, Judah has rejected the word of the Lord. And it didn't just start in Habakkuk's time. It has been building for decades into centuries. And God has been long-suffering and merciful. But the cup has filled up and the time of judgment had come. Now, why did Habakkuk make this mistake of thinking that Judah's sin was less sinful than Babylon's? That, yes, God, we need your correction, but surely not at the hands of the Babylonians. As if there was a degree of righteousness in Judah's sinfulness that existed, but yet the Babylonians had no righteousness whatsoever because they're just wicked Babylonians. That's... Very often what we think, but it's not true. It's a lie. The words of the psalmist recorded by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans says it best. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Jews and asking them the question, What then? Are we Jews better than they, the Gentiles? Are Jews better than Gentiles? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, that means Gentiles, or in this case with Habakkuk, the Babylonians, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the reality of the human condition, born in sin and fully depraved. This is who we are apart from Jesus. And we should never wonder at that. We should never be amazed when sinful men do sinful things. When sinful men are cruel and unusual, it's just normal for them because they are sinful. They are dead in their sin. They do not have Christ. And Christ is the only one that can deliver us from our sinfulness. No matter how good we may think we are, the reality is until we are born again by the grace of God, we are not saved by our goodness because we have none. We are saved only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God alone is good. When the psalmist wrote those words written and recorded by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. And the psalmist writes, There is none good, no, not one. Jesus Christ had not set his fleshly foot on planet Earth yet in the incarnation as the Savior. When the rich young ruler says to Jesus, Good teacher, and Jesus corrects him and says, why do you call me good? For there is none good but one, and that is God. And little did the rich young ruler know that he was speaking to God in the flesh. 
There is none good, no, not one. And God alone, through Christ alone, can save us. We cannot save ourselves. The question that Habakkuk had for the Lord was very similar to the questions we ask today. That's because human nature and sin is no different in Habakkuk's day than it is today. These words of the prophet, these events in the lives and the history of God's people were written for our admonition, for our warning, so that we can know better. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 9-11 Paul writes, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. The moral condition of the nation that Habakkuk lived in is no different than ours today. The problem at the core of Judah's condition is the same problem at the core of our condition. The problem is our rebellion against God and our rejection of God and of His ways. God, in describing the Babylonians to Habakkuk, said they are a terrible and dreadful people. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. This is what God said of the Babylonians. Think about that statement. The judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. If there is a phrase that concisely describes the condition of man today, it is that right there. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. In this nation, our judgment ceased proceeding from God long ago. Our dignity that comes from being created in the image of God now evolves out of ourself and whatever we are said to evolve from. You wonder why there is no value of life? What value does a life have that comes from some pond scum somewhere? Some spark of life, nobody knows how it sparked, hit some organic matter somewhere, and from that over billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years, we have puppy dogs and kittens and snakes and trees and rose bushes and blue bonnets. And Do you see the folly in that? How much faith does it take to believe that? Yet we buy the lie And we let our children be indoctrinated in that lie and they grow up thinking that's how we came to be. And we wonder why there is no value of life anymore. We wonder how can they kill 3,000 babies every day? Well, actually, we don't wonder anymore because it just happens on a regular basis and nobody even notices. Yet if we had 3,000 9-11s every day, if every day... Airplanes flew into towers and 3,000 people died every day. What do you think this nation would do to stop that? Yet that carnage goes on every day and has gone on every day legally since 1973. And over 60 million Americans have been murdered. But we don't think anything about it. Because it's out of sight and it's out of mind. And how much dignity do we really have when we just evolve from pond scum anyways? 
This is why now people say, listen, monkeys have as much right as humans do. Snails are more valuable than human beings. Kill the humans, but save the snails. And certainly save the whales. But we don't care about all the babies being murdered. Because they're just taking up space. That all the other animals and insects that have as much right, if not more, to be here than we do. It may sound silly to you, but if you weren't paying attention, I didn't watch it, but CNN spent seven hours the other night talking about climate change, and Bernie Sanders is advocating mass abortion to try to bring the population of the world down so that we don't kill all the animals and the trees and everything, because after all, they have as much right as we have to be here. China has forced abortion. They've actually stopped it now because their population was declining and they need to get some more people because they don't have enough slave labor. So they've, they've done away with forced abortion in China now. But don't worry, it'll come back when the population gets up to where they want it to be and then they'll just make it the law again that you can only have one child and if you get pregnant and you've already got a child, you've got to abort that baby. And the government has a right to make you murder your baby. Oh, well, Pastor Jeff, that would never happen in America. Really? You don't think so? What's special about America? Because we're the, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Really? How free are those 3,000 babies that are murdered every day in America? How free are they? Say, well, that's a choice. It's not their choice. See, people don't like it when I start talking like this because I've been accused of becoming political, but I don't understand that. What is political about the murder of 3,000 babies? There's nothing political about it. God said of the Babylonians, their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. And so it is with us. We've rejected our creator we are created, the Bible says, in the image of God, but we've rejected our Creator, therefore we've rejected any true dignity that we have. Because whatever dignity we have comes from God, but if we don't acknowledge God, then the dignity just comes from ourselves. And that becomes very subjective. Because what I think is dignified, you might not. What I think is valuable, you might not. What I think deserves to live, you might not think deserves to live. We've been taught that we are self-evolving beings with the dignity that proceeds from ourselves. We judge that dignity and the value of it, life itself with a judgment that proceeds from ourself. Therefore, we have lost the value of life, of dignity, and of judgment because they are no longer rooted in anything absolute or true. We've got this floating... Standard. It's just floating around out there. Our judgments and our dignity are floating with no fixed point because it is a standard born out of a rejection of the one who is the truth. In Habakkuk's day, God brought a judgment and a correction to his people that they could not believe. This was the declaration God made in verse 5. 
And God is judging us right now. We keep hearing people say, God's going to judge this country one day. If you don't think the death of 60 million Americans is the judgment of God, then I don't know what is. More than all the people that died in World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, we've murdered legally. You don't think that's the judgment of God? You guys didn't come for such a heavy message today, did you? But here's the thing. When are we, the church, going to wake up and realize what's happening? It's the same that was happening to Judah. You know when Judah woke up? When the Babylonians broke through their gates and killed their women and their children and, and the old men and old women and carried away all the Ones that were fit for hard labor. They took their princes, the ones who were smart, they took those two. The ones they could use. Everyone they couldn't use, you know what the Babylonians did with them? They slaughtered them. And they didn't think a thing about it. It was just business to them. It's just what you do. They're using our resources. They're going to eat our food. They're going to drink our water. We don't need them. We can't take care of them. Kill them. And leave them in the streets to rot. And carry everyone away captive. You say, well, that was 2,600 years ago. We live in a different world. Really? My dad fought in World War II. My dad. And those men saw the fruit of the dignity that proceeds from man's own humanity when they liberated the concentration camps, when they saw the piles of rotting corpses. We have the film of that. Now we have people today saying it didn't really happen. No, it really happened. And it wasn't that long ago. Now that's just World War II. Then you got Joseph Stalin, who killed upwards of 30-plus million of his own people. And Stalin would just make roads out of dead bodies. He'd just run tanks over them and, and, and just crush them into the mud so they can keep going. Then you have Mao, who some believe killed upwards to maybe 100 million people. Khmer Rouge, Cambodia, 300,000 minimum. You want me to keep going? You don't think it could happen today? It, it happens. Rwanda, mid-90s, over a million Rwandans slaughtered. You don't think humanity is capable of this? You know where that comes from? It comes from a rejection of God. That's where it comes from. And if the church is not going to stand up for the truth... The world doesn't know the truth. They're lost in their lie and their deceit. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We better start being salt and we better start being light. Because if you haven't noticed, we're not 
trending in the right direction as a nation. There's hope, though. There's always hope because we have Jesus. The judgment of the Lord is not what's coming, it's what's here. The question is, when will it stop and how much worse will it get? Our long-term rejection of God has culminated in this deterioration of the condition that we see around us. But there is hope. Habakkuk knew there was hope. And he knew his hope and the hope of the nation was in God. He questioned God, yes. And it's okay for you to question God. But Habakkuk didn't just question, he waited for the answer, and he knew the answer would come. And if you pay attention to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. In other words, Habakkuk knew that Whatever his questions were, whatever injustice, whatever he saw, whatever wonder he had about what God was doing, at the end of it all, he knew that God was right and he was wrong. Whatever he thought was wrong and whatever he thought God should do, ultimately whatever God did, he knew would be right because Habakkuk understood that God is God and he is not. Our problem with humanism today is that we think we are our own God, whether we admit it or not. He knew correction was coming. And in the midst of all of his questioning, he knew that God was right. No matter what may come, God is always right. And like a man, Habakkuk took his stand and waited for the correction of God. God always provides the answer, and with the answer will come God's correction. We may not like the answer. We may not answer. God may not answer when we want, how we want, or what we want. But God always provides the answer. He has already provided the solution to our problem, even before we realize there is a problem. And that solution is Jesus. We can get lost in the weeds looking for answers and reasons why. We need to come out of the weeds and we need to embrace Jesus, trust Jesus. He is the answer. He is the ultimate solution to all of life, to everything, great and small. All of life's trials, all of life's tribulations, all of our joys, all of our blessings, all of our hardship, Jesus is. The answer, he is our hope. He is our grace. Habakkuk lived and prophesied looking ahead to the coming of Christ and his work of redemption. We live looking to the already finished work of Christ who has already secured our redemption in him. We live looking to the promise that one day our redemption will be made eternally manifest in a world that is free of sin and of death. That is God's promise. Like Habakkuk, we look forward to the day when God will right all wrong. Now in Christ, we look to that day with an even brighter vision of hope that has been provided for us in Jesus Christ. In Christ, all of God's promises are ours.
as the apostle writes, in him they are all yes and amen. Let's get ready to come to the table. Let's all stand. In my introduction to this message, I said the sin of our nation is the same as Judah in Habakkuk's day. And I also pointed out vaguely that the solution is the same also. Our sin is our rejection of God, our rebellion rebellion against His word and against His ways. And the solution is repentance and faith. We must repent of our sin, turn and trust in Jesus. We must return to the gospel of Christ as being central in all things, in all of life. We as a church, Christ Fellowship, must pray. We need to pray that we, the people of God, humble ourselves before God, turn from our wicked ways, seek the face of God as never before. The future of this nation hangs in the balance. And do not think that it is hyperbole or over-the-top language for shock value that I say that because it is the truth. We are Judah, living in denial, never believing, though told for decades that judgment is coming. It is upon us now. In our hardness of heart and mind, we keep denying that it could happen. We are Americans after all. We are the land of the free and the home of the brave. We have in God we trust on the dollars that we worship. We are Christians because we are. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus did not command us to simply identify with him, but to fully obey him. Have you been saved by his grace? Are you trusting in Jesus? Then trust his grace to give you the power and the ability and the desire to fully live and to fully die for him, for his glory, for the salvation of souls who hang in the balance. Amen.